Easter's about hope. And it's not the wishful kind of hope, it's a sure and certain hope. One of the things that's true for everyone is that people live off hope. When humans lose hope and, end up, in, and end up in a situation that's hopeless, uh, they tend to just, just really almost kind of perish in that state. I mean, if you've ever talked, you've ever spoken to someone, you've ever felt at some point in time in your life where you just think this situation is hopeless, very, very caustic uh, to humanity when we get in situations like that. Uh, it's, it's not, uh, one of the things I want to say to you is that you, you actually operate on hope on sure and certain hope. This is not like a, a wishful hope like, um, I hope the Blues win this year, that kind of thing. Is, is there any other persecuted Blues supporters who live in Queensland? Thank you. Yeah, special prayer for you guys later. Um, you know, it's, it's actually a sure and certain hope. It's kind of a bit more like uh, most of you didn't think about whether you were going to live to make it to church this morning when you drove in your car, right? Because you actually got in the car and you actually had a hope that you were going to make it here. Most of you, when you cut your finger or you do something, you go and grab a band-aid, you stick it on there. Why? Because you've actually got something of a sure and certain hope uh, that your finger is actually going to heal. That kind of hope is what Easter is about. The sure and certain hope. And one of the most uh, bizarre things, in a sense, about the whole Easter thing is that we go from hopelessness, like big-time hopelessness on Good Friday, to unassailable hope in about a three-day period. Uh, And the hope that the resurrection brings is amazing. So I'm going to read uh, some of the stories starting in Mark 15 at verse 42. You can watch on the screen or you can look at that in your own Bible. Um, And when the evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea. Now why is Mark telling you who it is? So you can go and talk to him. If you were living in that day, it's like, oh, you know Joseph. He lives over in such and such a place. If you want to check this story, you go and talk to Joseph. He knows all about it. A respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already already died. I mean, we're not, right? He didn't just die of the physical thing. I mean, it's that the sin and the wrath of God killed him in addition to the crucifixion. And summoning the centurion, do you see what's going on here? What's Mark doing? He wants you to know that this whole story about Jesus dying and rising again isn't a fictional story, it's actually a real story. So I was going, if you want to know about the guy who buried him, you need to go and talk to Joseph. But we know he was actually dead. Why? Because the centurion said he was. All right? So you see what's going on here is Pilate says to the centurion, he goes, man, that, he died quick. Was he really dead? And he says, sure, yeah, he was. All right? Now, he's probably executed lots and lots of people. So he knows what he's doing. He knows when someone is actually dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the course to Joseph. What's Pilate doing? Pilate's making a legal declaration. This prisoner's dead. You can bury him. You can't get a resurrection without what? A dead body, right? Because it's got to be a dead body first, right? So you sit there and you go, okay, aren't we doing resurrection? No, well, you've got to be dead to be resurrected. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now listen, I'm not going to read this again because I just read it before, right? But what I do want you to note is I want you to note how Mark keeps telling you who the people are, right? Look, he's just finished saying that Mary, the Marys and some other women saw him die. What does he do at the start of 16? Well, he's going to tell you about the Marys again. All right? They, they brought spices. They knew where he was buried. 
They watched him die. And they're coming on the third day to actually anoint his body with perfume. So here's the first point that I want to uh, put out there for you today is that truth inspires hope. No one actually, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest hindrances to people hoping in something is the thought that maybe it won't be true or it won't come through. You know what I'm talking about? It's just like, and, and sometimes, I, you know, it's probably one of the, the, the dark secrets of people who follow Jesus for a while is you just have moments you go, I wonder whether this is true. You know, I wonder whether it's just all, you know, I'm just putting my confidence in something that's a story well you know you're in the right place today because mark actually wants you to be sure about things right and he wants you to know that there's good reasons for you putting your confidence in jesus so you see here in uh, in mark 15 you know they're looking on when he dies they're uh, they see where he go, where he gets buried they, they're the ones that are actually coming to put spices on him he's he's naming Joseph of Arimathea is going, he's just lining up the evidence. He's like, Pilate declared him dead. The centurion said he was dead. Joseph took his body. Uh, the women saw where he was buried. I mean, you've just got the hallmarks of an eyewitness account. Now, a spin-out thing in Mark 16, verse 5. Let me go back to this passage here. It's Mark 16, verse 5. You notice this here. It says, in entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side. Now, so on the right do you hear what i'm saying it's like that doesn't do anything for the story but that's actually what you get when someone's telling an eyewitness account they just notice things all right now we don't know why the eyewitnesses noticed it you know are they were they left-handed they're just well that's weird they're sitting on the wrong side right they should i don't know i don't know i'm just making that up right you're all sitting there going this is gospel truth is it it's not gospel truth right but here's the thing that's what happens when you get an eyewitness account it's just kind of like you're bringing stuff in that's not necessarily helping the story but you just kind of noticed it those who have been in the project for a while know that uh, when jesus was in the boat in the middle of the storm it actually says in the middle of the storm he was resting his head on a cushion and you just go okay <laughs> like it doesn't have much to do with the story in a sense it doesn't help the story go forward but that's what you get in eyewitness accounts and i want you to know today mark would have you know today that the truth inspires hope now one thing you need to know is in the decades before jesus's death and resurrection and the decades after it there were dozens of messianic movements that popped up and do you know what happened to them almost without exception the leader was killed usually executed and after the death of the leader the movements disappeared okay that's that's what actually happened you know what people did they went home and that was it that was the end of it. Not so with Christianity. See, after the leader lived and died, it exploded by, and by the 300-year mark had spread all the way through the Roman Empire. Why? Because the critical thing is what happened after he died. And that's what we're here to celebrate and to sing about and to talk about today. It's what actually happens after the death of Jesus that makes all the difference. Now, I want to just pause at this moment and just... Just, let's just all agree about something. It's, it's difficult sometimes to believe in a resurrection. Is everyone, everyone cool with that? Look, it's, it's actually, it's, it's a bit tricky. Now, sometimes you can sit there and you can kind of go, well, it was easy for them, harder for us. They actually saw Jesus and they saw him die. It's actually harder for us. I want to speak to that just for a minute. Do you know that in the Gospel of Mark, those of you who have been at the project, you know that Mark is classically brief. All right? He likes to just grab things and just kind of package it. There you go. Now, in Mark, Jesus talks about his death and resurrection in Mark 8, 9 and 10. All right? 
Now, if Mark says it three times, Jesus probably said it more than three times, all right? Based on Mark's, um, the, the way that Mark actually writes. Now, if you were making up the resurrection story, right, you know what would make for a really cool story? Is if one of, just, just one of the disciples, right, is sitting at home, it's like you get this little intel, and they're sitting at home and they just thought, I remember him saying something about being killed and then rising from the dead, all right? And then on the third day, you know, we come along and the, there's a disciple and he's just kind of kicking, just snooping around and just going, oh, we thought maybe something might happen on the third day. Do you get what I'm saying? But you don't get that. None of that actually happens in this story. No disciples are snooping around. And in fact, the women aren't coming because they're snooping around and thinking that something's happening on the third day. They're coming thinking the corpse is decomposing in Middle Eastern heat and we want to make it smell nice. You, you with me? Like there's, there's not a whole lot of faith going on at this point. It's kind of classic Mark, isn't it? I mean, if you've read the book of Mark there, most people, barring usually, actually about one, which was the, the, one of the soldiers at the cross, didn't get Jesus. And so here we've got the resurrection Sunday and they still don't get him. They just go, he's told them, like... And he wrote down what he told me. He said, well, we, you would think that's pretty clear, but not to them. They didn't actually get it. And so I want you to hear today that it was probably as tough for them to believe in the resurrection as it would be for you. Let me give you a couple of reasons why it was tough for them. One of the reasons wa- uh, were that, um, was, I should say, one of the reasons was that the Greeks actually didn't believe in resurrection. They believed that the afterlife was when the soul and the body got disconnected. All right? Now, if you look at what the Jews actually believed, about uh, resurrections they believed that there was some kind of future resurrection they had no categories for individual independent uh, resurrections on top of that we've got the whole idea that the story is that women find the empty tomb all right now no offense to women at this point in time at all i'm married to one i love her very much um but um what, what you actually find is in that first century, the women generally, their testimony was not accepted in a court of law. Like they actually weren't trustworthy. And some of the men here are going, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. You're probably not sitting next to a woman if you think that, all right? <laughs> there, was a, uh, there was a guy called uh, Celsus. He was a Greek philosopher in the second century and he was a strident opponent of uh, Christianity. And uh, he used to have a bit of a crack at origin, if you know who he is. He's not an energy provider. He's a, he's a dude back in the second century. Um, and you know what uh, Celsus actually said about uh, one of his criticisms, his arguments against Christianity? Uh, he said that uh, you can't trust it because it's dependent upon the evidence of a woman. All right? And he basically said that women are hysterical and the evidence of the uh, resurrection from women's female gossip. All right? That's, that's what he actually said. So he, here's the point. In that cultural context where women are pretty, pretty well marginalised, if you're making up a story, are you going to make up a story that women find the empty tomb first? Are you? Absolutely not. All right? It's just not going to fly for you. All right? What you actually want to do is you want to make up a story that's actually going to kick some more goals than that. And then on top of that, you've got all of the witnesses, the disciples witnesses of seeing him go to their deaths saying that he actually was raised to life physically all right point number two the tenderness of jesus listen to this 
And entering the tomb, they saw the young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Do you know what actually is going on here? The, the angel's got a message kind of from Jesus, isn't it? It's just like, hey, I mean, we don't know whether it happened. Maybe it didn't, right? But hey, it's like the angel, Jesus, they get together and just go, Jesus going, hey, here's what I want you to do. Just hang in the tomb until Mary and, and the other ladies come and, and just, uh, you know, and just tell them this. This is what I want you to tell them. What's he saying? He's kind of going, this is the message I want you to tell them. Uh, I'm going to see you. I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee. What about this? I'll be waiting for you in Galilee. I want you back. Do you see that? Now, some of you might go, yeah, that's, that's nice. Nice, Jesus. All right? But here's what I want to say to you is um, I probably wouldn't have said that. All right? If I had a message for an angel to give after what the disciples had just done to me, you with me? Or deserting him, denying him. Mine would probably go something like this. You tell those faithless, backstabbing cowards that Jesus might stoop down to see them if they grovel and they'd better grovel well. You with me? Isn't that tender? It's tender of Jesus at that moment to, uh, to just be tender and say, look, I'll see you. I'm going ahead of you. I'm, I'll be waiting for you. I want you back. And we actually see the, the interaction between the disciples and Jesus in Luke 24. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you see it's the same song sheet right just singing from the same one again but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit and he said to them why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart see my hands and my feet that it is I myself touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have and when he had said this he showed them his hands and his feet and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling he said to them have you anything here to eat They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Do you see that? I mean, seriously, if it was us, maybe maybe the best that we could do is, I told you I was going to do this. I told, but it's not, it doesn't even have that kind of sense about it. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> I told you about this. Now, we're going forward now. We're going forward now. I'd, I'm waiting for you. I want you back. Number three, the resurrection was the resurrection that we had to have. Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen or has been raised. He is not here. Now, I've never quoted Paul Keating before in my life, but I'm going to quote him today. Um, Paul Keating in uh, the early 90s made this um, amazing statement that got a lot of publicity. Does anyone know the one I'm talking about? That the recession in the 1990s, which apparently for Australia was the worst one since the Great Depression in 1930, it was the one that we had to have. See, that's what he said. All right, and it's kind of like the, the economy just needed, you know, just to have its, you know, just to be trimmed a bit and be pruned a bit. And it really kind of hit the fan there um, in that, uh, at that time. But here's, here's the, um, did I just say hit the fan? Yeah, I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> here's the thing about the resurrection, right? It was the resurrection that we had to have. 
What does it mean if Jesus doesn't rise? Well, I'll tell you what it means is that you're still stuck in your sins. It actually means that sin is stronger than life. Like, just stop for a minute. You know, people go to the movies, right? And I don't know whether you've ever noticed, but there's some movies that kind of have a movie cut and then like a director's cut that comes out on DVD. And often, like, the director's cut is kind of the one with the real ending, but they know that if you put that in at the movies and it's a really sad ending, that people are not going to pay money to watch it, right? Why is that? It's because you and I, we love to see a happy ending. We actually want to see good triumph over evil. True? So just think about it. If Jesus stays dead, evil triumphs over good. The DNA of the story at the heart of the universe is that good loses. Like, just stop for a sec on that one. What would that be like? Like, if you lived in a world where good loses, ultimately. It, like, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter whether you, you know, you try really hard or you try to be really disciplined or you do lots of stuff for poor people. It's like, we're trying to push the evil back. We're trying to push the bad stuff back. But it's like, man, the whole overarching story of the universe is that evil wins. So why even bother, man? It's going to be tragic at the end anyway. Do you want to live in a world where that is the ultimate flavour? Do you? I don't. Do you, just a bit more conviction there. Do you want to live in a world where that's the ultimate flavour? No, no, absolutely not. Now listen. Once a criminal has done their time, they walk free. Don't they? Unless they do another crime, they walk free. Why do they walk free? They walk free because they've done it. They've paid it, right? So you've got to hear this. And when Jesus gets raised back to life he walks free because everything's paid like it's done it's a, it's kind of the end of the story he was raised by the father you know and it's almost like um mark is kind of saying here listen everything else about jesus in my gospel is true this thing of him walking free is just confirming everything else that's going on here's here's the truth for you today if jesus is not raised we're in trouble is that true all sorts of trouble this, this is the hope of the world. If you don't know Jesus today, you don't know that this is the hope of the world, that Jesus was raised from the dead. His death means no death for us. His resurrection means our resurrection. I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, listen, if he, if he actually isn't raised, it's just a whole futile exercise, this being a Christian thing and following him. But let's just think just a little bit more. What is so good about the resurrection? Well, what's so good about the resurrection is it guarantees a future resurrection. You go back to the Old Testament, you read some of the prophets, they talk about kids playing near a viper's den, lion and the lamb lying down next to each other. What's that? Well, that's shalom. That's where everything is fully whole and well-being is just fully just the way it was always meant to be, physically, spiritually, socially, economically, as reconciliation to God, to ourselves, to other people. Like, just think about it. What actually makes suffering so hard? What makes it so hard to face disability and disease? Why is it hard to do the right thing sometimes when it will cost you your time, your reputation, your money? Why is it so hard to face your own death and the death of a loved one? Well, one of the things that makes it so hard is if you think that, that, that this world is all that there is. You with me? You're not going to give that world away if you think that's all that there is. If you think that the money that you've got is all that there is, you're not going to handle that in an appropriate way. 
You won't handle your... Uh, let me just... I'm going to... I might offend some people, but please forgive me if I do. It, this whole thing can affect dieting, can't it? Just, just take dieting, for example. Okay? I mean, if you think that this world is all that there is, you're actually going to be... And I'm talking about in a functional way. Like, you might be sitting there and you're going, no, I know that there's another one. But in a functional way, you can kind of be going, no, no, this is it. We're going to make this one last as long as we can. And I'm all for that, right? But I'm, I'm all for you having the right reasons for making this thing last as, as long as you can, all right? Just stop for a moment and think about the possibility that fear of death could actually be influencing the way that people diet. Is it possible? I mean, you could just pull up, couldn't you, for a bit and just go, wouldn't that be interesting? If you could get some kind of x-ray kind of camera that just kind of knows what's going on inside of you and what things are actually being shaped by a fear of death any particular day, I wonder how many of those there would be. Well, the good news about the resurrection is Jesus killed death, right? And so you don't have to be afraid of that. So you see for the first 300 years of Christianity, Christians going and being killed and they're good with it in a sense, aren't they? They're good with it. I mean, you read some of the testimonies, you go, how on earth are you saying that? Why are they saying it like that? Why is it only affecting them like that? Because they knew that the resurrection of Jesus meant that this world was not all there is. Okay? So my question for you today, and I'm just encouraging you, right? This is not having a crack at you, right? But do you actually live in a way that makes it look like you believe that this world is not all there is? And I'm sure you do. And I'm just saying, just do it more. All right? The resurrection is that good that you can release stuff that you haven't released up until this point. You see, your future is much more beautiful and certain than this world being all there is because of the resurrection. See, if you're lonely right now in the resurrection, you're going to have perfect love. If you're empty in, now in the resurrection, you're going to be fully satisfied. You see, if, if you have this sure and certain hope about the resurrection that's coming because of the resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago, then who cares what people do to you? That's a tough one though, isn't it? This is, uh, we kind of see this in 1 Peter 1 verse 3 to 9. I'm going to read that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There's that hope word. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, you might read that and you go, that's cool, man. That's, that's unperishable. But listen to the kind of people he's talking to. Listen to the situation they're in. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, even more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, this is like you, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you see what's going on here? Peter's going, these guys are getting whacked because they love Jesus. But you know what? They've actually got a sure and certain hope that is not dependent upon this world, it's dependent upon something greater that's coming, the resurrection that's coming in the future, which is purchased by the, uh, the resurrection in the past. Mark uh, chapter 16, uh, the back end of it is a bit controversial. Do you know why? 
because uh, a lot of commentators reckon that the last um, probably 13 verses or 12 or 13 verses actually Mark didn't write okay so basically you got verse 9 through to 20 okay uh, and there's, I think there's some pretty good evidence for that which is why the project here we're, we're pulling up at verse 8 another reason why I think it's, it's appropriate is because it just looks like Mark to finish at verse 8 so let me read this and you'll uh, you, you get the sense of what I'm talking about but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Do you know why this is like Mark? Because all the way through Mark, there's people interacting with Jesus and they just don't get him. And it's like right at the end after the resurrection, it's like the women are in there and the angel talks to them and they're just freaking out. They're just, but then they still don't get him. Because what's actually needed for these women to really get it is to have a personal encounter with Jesus. That's what it's all about in the Gospel of Mark. Is like people need to have a personal encounter with Jesus. And it just seems to me that it's Mark's kind of style, apart from the fact that early manuscripts don't have this little extended, extended play version of Mark, I think it just sounds like Mark. He's just going to kind of leave it hanging at the end. It's like, so what now? What happens now? And you know, part of the answer to that, what happens now is you. That's what's now. Like you're the what's now in Mark 16. But let's just, uh, let's just dig a, a little bit here. Our world needs an encounter with Jesus, doesn't it? You know, I mean, even if you've been following, following Jesus for a long time, you know, you just need ongoing encounters, don't you? It's like when you sit down and you read the scriptures and you pray... Maybe you're singing some worship, you come to church. What do you need? Well, you need a personal encounter. It's like the, the women had this kind of encounter. It's like, they'll be okay. They've just got to engage with Jesus somewhere. And they, and they get to do that. The disciples get to do that. And what do we end up with? We end up with a whole bunch of world beaters, really, don't we? Just set the path, uh, set the world on the path of, of Christianity because they become world beaters. They have these interactions with um, with Jesus. You see, our world swims in a sea of good, hard and bad things. And it's, it's this centre, this, uh, this, uh, this focus of, uh, around Jesus, this orientation around Jesus that helps in all of those things. And I want to just uh, let you know where we're going with the project in the, in the next uh, quarter of the year. We're going to do some stuff in Ecclesiastes. Who likes Ecclesiastes? Cool. It's like a whole bunch of stuff about meaninglessness, you know? You just go, man, like... You get to the end of Ecclesiastes, you go, oh, okay, so even good things are not good in Ecclesiastes, you know, like nothing's good, everything's meaningless, until he gets right to the end, he says, listen, here's, here's the nub, here's the most important thing out of everything is to orient around God, you know, it's, it's Jesus that actually, it's Jesus himself that actually brings meaning and, uh, and purpose and hope in, in the midst of the things of this world. So I just wanted to show you our quick little trailer. Uh, for, the, for the Ecclesiastes thing and then we'll, uh, we'll just wrap up. Meaning and purpose are two really important realities for humanity. How many times have you heard someone say, what's the point of this? Why are we doing this? Why is this happening to me? You see, they're all pointers that meaning and purpose are central concerns for people. One of the interesting things about meaning and purpose is that they become even more important in the presence of suffering or trouble. I wonder whether you've ever thought about meaning and purpose when things were going well. Take for example buying a new car. 
or you buy the new car, maybe in your head you think, if I can just have that car, I'll be happy. And when you get it, it's good for a while. But after about three months, maybe four months, it's not that good anymore. And you think, maybe there's something else that will help me to have happiness and meaning and purpose. Maybe there's something else that I can draw um, satisfaction from. You see, someone once said that uh, boredom is not the absence of pleasure, but a weariness with it. Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes wants to help us with meaning. You see, all the way through his meandering book, he's been saying, look, it's not the good things in which you can find meaning. It's not the bad things in which you can find meaning. It's not even the hard things in which you can find meaning. It's what the good, the bad, and the hard things are tethered to that bring meaning in the midst of them. You see, right at the end of his book, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, the ultimate thing is to fear God. You see, fear is about awe. Awe is about worship. Worship is about the thing that you center your life on, the, the orienting center of your life. And so what I want to do is just invite you to come to the project in the second quarter of 2016. We're going to be covering a lot of topics that uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes covers in his book. And we're going to see how the orienting center of our lives brings meaning to everything that we do, whether it be the good things or the very, very difficult things. There'll be meaning in everything, not because of the thing itself, but because of the center of our lives, Jesus Christ. So uh, he's the center of it, right? Um, no meaning equals no hope. I wonder if you just stand with me and get invite the, uh, the music team up. Um, we're going to sing one more song together. A, uh, a couple of, uh, actually about a week or so ago, I, um, I, I had two days of being free from fear. Some of you go, okay, you know, well done, Peter, two days is pretty good. Well, fear seems to be one of the things, you, you may not notice it, but fear seems to be the one, one of the things that gets me. I mean, it's, it would be stunning for me to see how much my life is influenced and truncated and trimmed by, by fear. You know, and I know that every single person in this room, is you've got stuff that just kind of gets you. You know, you've got stuff that, is uh, just kind of enslaves you and just kind of binds you. What's, what's that thing? What's that thing that actually binds you? You see, a week or so ago, I'm just going, this is amazing. To actually be free from the thing that binds is amazing. And you know, Easter Sunday is about Jesus being raised to life to bring about freedom for captives. Right? True? And it's like you're there today and you're just going, that's me. You know, I mean, even if I've been following Jesus, chances are that people have been following Jesus for a long time, you still get into slavery. You still get enslaved in stuff. You still get trapped by things. And I want to ask you today, what, well, what if it wasn't there tomorrow? What if you had two days? Like you, you think about the, the ultimate nemesis for you. The thing that kind of gets you, that kind of catches you out. What if... You went to bed tonight and you had two 24-hour periods, 48 hours, where you were completely free from the thing that bound you and that keeps you trapped. You know, I look back a, a week or so ago and, man, you just, it's like, I, I feel like Peter. And yet these other times where I'm just kind of getting bound by this fear thing, I'm just, I don't feel like Peter. I feel like some subhuman, in a sense, 
Peter, not the fully human kind of, kind of Peter. You know, and sometimes, remember Jesus went up to the cripple and, and he said to him, do you want to be healed? You know, sometimes we can get really used to slavery. You know, you, th- you think about the uh, Israelites in, trapped in Egypt, you know, they were there for four centuries. Four centuries. Australia hasn't even existed as a nation that long. You know, like we, we've only been pretty much half, 400 years. I mean, you get used to slavery, don't you? And I reckon this guy, uh, this cripple that Jesus went up to, he's gone up to him and just gone, do you want to be healed? It's just like, isn't that a really easy answer? Like, aren't you supposed to just answer that? That's, but it's not, is it? You know, because it feels weird sometimes. Actually, the kind of freedom that Jesus rose from the dead to bring you can feel really free, uh, really weird. And it doesn't sound like home sometimes. True? And sometimes you can take you in it and you just kind of go, oh, this is really uncomfortable. This, this does not feel like home. And I mean, I do counselling with people, and you can see that in people sometimes. It's like God's bringing them into a new space, but there's freedom for them, and it's just like, I'm insecure in this space because this just doesn't feel right to me. I'm used to being enslaved, so I'd like to just keep going back. And you actually see that in the Israelites, don't you? They just go, they get out, and they get their freedom, and then they start saying to Moses, we want to go back. Like, it was better back there than being with God in this wilderness you know and we can we can kind of be that right it can kind of become part of our identity and the resurrection is about Jesus purchasing for you a new identity isn't it it's like I I don't have to be back there anymore he walked out of that tomb unshackled unshackled and free and that's what he's wanting to bring about now does that happen miraculously sometimes in us does God work in us yeah he does right but is that a lifelong journey? It's like, is there something that you need to push into? Like, do you need to claim? Do you need to work and fight for the victory that Jesus actually purchased on the cross and by being raised from the dead, do you? Yeah, you do. It's like any freedom, you know? Someone's got to fight for it and you've got to fight to protect it and to retain it, don't you? And so this is an exciting day. This is a really exciting day. And so we're going to sing a song about freedom. All right, and this song about listen. listen if you want to actually just move a little bit, you know, now I'm not going to dance out the front here because people will go looking for an exorcist. All right, at that point in time. But if you just want to move a little bit, all right, like kind of, you know, when we're singing it, right? Because this is an exciting day. I, I don't know whether any of you have seen the photo. It's a, a photo, a video of a guy uh, after World War II was called off in Sydney dancing in the streets. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Why? Because something great happened. Now, that's pathetic greatness compared to this, isn't it? This is like, well, I mean, that was just a world war. You get what I'm saying? This is, this is world changing. This actually changed the history of every single person who's ever lived and every single person who will ever live on the face of this planet in this act, Jesus rising from the dead, yeah? So you'd be happy about that. And you might even move a little bit. And you might even dance a little bit, right? Because you're just happy about it, all right? Not because you're possessed or anything, but just because you're happy with something, right? So think about the guy in the street and he's dancing because the war's over, right? Resurrection Sunday is the war is over. Everything's paid for. Let's enjoy it.